take us and you um, receive us however we are feeling at this moment. Um, and uh, Father, I just would just pray that these next few moments would be um, uh, helpful for people. And uh, I thank you that we're here and that your word is always authoritative. It is always working to your good purposes. Um, and so in our sorrow this morning, uh, speak to us. Uh, help us understand what it means to be sorrowful and to uh, live in light of your cross. And so, Lord, speak to us tenderly and lovingly and in a way that only you can. Uh, help me, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, Bill, thank you for reading uh, Psalm 44. Um, you have it there in your worship folder, or if you have it there in your Bible. Uh, sometimes it's hard to sort of touch down on a scripture, just sort of a one-time look at a passage. Uh, but I think you got the gist of the passage. The, the, the passage is a cry of the heart. Uh, God, why have you for, forgotten us? Why have we been left like sleep, uh, sheep to the slaughter? And why are you asleep? That's really the, the short summary of Psalm 44. I don't know if you've ever had that experience in your life when... When you feel that God is distant from you, your experience is a sorrowful one, and you don't really know if you have permission to talk to God honestly about it. Um, or is church a place of honesty where you can, can speak um, directly to God and air your frustrations um, I read an account of a man who was introduced to the idea of lament. That's what we're looking at. We're looking at a lament this morning. Uh, the pastor had introduced the idea of lament to a man who had lost his daughter. The man had never heard of this idea before, uh, that he could say difficult and hard things to God, what he really felt in his heart. So he walked up to the pastor and said, do you really mean I can just tell God what I'm really feeling? And the pastor said, knowing his situation, said, yes, you can. So the man uh, found a secluded part of the church with no one around except the pastor from noticing. And the man said words that you don't say in church. And uh, I wonder if you can feel free to lament. The Bible tells us that we can. Um, lament is a form, a style of writing in the Bible, a genre. It's actually the largest genre or style of, of prayer in the Bible, lament. Uh, Brandon and... Anya don't get a drive home with their little one today. They have uh, broken hearts and broken dreams. And uh, Brandon and I yesterday were hanging out there at the cafeteria of the hospital talking, and I'm talking to a theologian, you know. Yeah, so we reflected a bit about the Bible, and we, we, we sort of know that 
you know, as you look at your Bible, you know more about the people. You know more about, more about the Bible than the people in the Bible knew. Um, you, you know that the stories are going to conclude in a good way or in a great purposeful way in Jesus, right? I mean, you know that it doesn't end in a tragedy. And you know more than the people in the Bible knew. Um, and Brandon and I are talking about that. And uh, he nodded. He understood. But right now they are in lament. And so are we as a church. Psalm 44 is actually uh, a corporate lament. The word we is used. And it's also an individual lament. The word I is used. Or my. Uh, in Psalm 44, uh, twice God is being really accused of forgetting his people. Uh, verse 11 and uh, verse 22 say that you have made us like sheep uh, to slaughter. When you're looking at a lament, you have to give uh, a little bit of uh, grace to the writer because there are uh, hyperboles in lament. They're saying a little bit too much in order to just share their heart, and Jesus used hyperbole to make a point, to drive home a point. So it's an exaggeration of truth, but it is still a truthful expression. Um, The feel of the psalm here is clear. God has been a source of faithfulness for his people. And now uh, this period of time, there is warfare. Um, I'm not 100% sure what point in Israel's history this psalm takes place. Um, but they are experiencing abandonment and disgrace. They feel disgraced by God. God has done battle for them, and if God would just do battle again, oh, oh, the difference that would make. If God would just Get, engage, if you just engage. But it, it appears God is asleep. They are in free fall as a people, and the individual writing this psalm is afflicted and oppressed and believes that God has forgotten them and forgotten them as an individual. I don't know if you guys have ever had the, the uh, joy of uh, trying to help someone or yourself uh, jumpstart your car, the manual transmission. Uh, I've done that a lot, uh, especially college days. I don't, what, what's the deal with college cars and you just never quite get the battery or the alternator or just always park it by a hill, right? <laughs> and uh, jumpstarting a car, important skill. Um, I don't know if you knew this, or maybe you in the military know this, but uh, do you know that helicopters can go into a stall? Uh, Not a good thing for a helicopter. And do you know that pilots are trained to let that stall happen, let the wind move through those helicopter blades? They put the blades at a certain angle, and they let those blades start turning on their own, And then I guess helicopters have clutches and they pop the clutch of a helicopter. Do you know they can start the engine again after they have free-falled? 
Can you imagine how terrifying that would be? Well, have you ever been in a free fall and it feels like the engine's not going to start again? What would it be like to have the engine start again? Well, you're moving ahead with some purpose. You're now no longer in this ditch or you're no longer in this you know, situation. You can joyfully return to God. You can get back on your feet. Uh, you're no longer uh, paralyzed, right? So I think we've all had those moments, free fall. Uh, here in this psalm, though, there is an expression that they, these people cannot think of unfaithfulness. They can, we are not perfect, we know that. They can't think of a time in this particular time in his, Israel's history, at least the writer of this psalm is saying, we, we haven't bowed down to a foreign god. We, we haven't, it would make sense if you chastise us. It would make sense if you discipline us. That's, that's not here. In fact, we have been broken and left in the place of jackals. Have you ever heard of jackal? Jackals are like these crazy, strange dogs that laugh at night and make these strange sounds. I heard them in Southeast Asia. and uh, The place of the jackal is like this haunting, bad place. And you just left us there. And we haven't forgotten the name of our God, verse 20, or spread out our hands to a foreign God. We know that you would see that. We, we're, not, we're not fooling ourselves, and, and yet we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, defenseless. We've been left with just a cry to you. And then it sort of culminates in verse 23. And there's just an exclamation, awake. Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. So here's what's going on, is that in, in a biblical lament, and you've experienced this, you have to be aware of what God can do You have to be aware of God's goodness. And what you're aware of is of God's inactivity. And you're troubled because you're not seeing evidence of his goodness. But you have to be aware of his goodness before you'd ever lament that you don't see his goodness. And so this person is writing and making a, a case The only thing that could be true about you, God, is that there's some part of you, some part of you that has taken over and you are sleeping because this doesn't make sense. Of all I understand about your goodness, your promises, your faithfulness, we are your covenant people. You have pledged your your eye upon us. Now, in verse 25, it says, verse 24, why do you hide your face? Do you love the great Levitical priestly prayer? Sometimes we use it as our benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. The Lord shine his what? His face upon you. That means that you sense his smile. And people came to the priests of the Old Testament. They had offered a sacrifice. They came with a, a child with great needs. And what they want is they want God's smile upon them because it seems like he's asleep and he is frowning. Why are you sleeping? Rouse yourself. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? God, you have a case of forgetfulness. And then verse 25, for our soul. Listen to that. Listen to that language. I don't know if we've ever talked that way to God. My soul is bowed down. Have you ever felt your soul? Is it possible to feel your soul? I wonder if lament helps us feel the soul. My soul is bowed down to the dust. And our belly clings to the ground. That means we've been brought low. We've been brought low. And then, verse 26, Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. And laments consistently do this toward the end of them. Laments are part of a heartfelt, frustrated accusation to God. But laments do not conclude, yep, I was right. You were sleeping and you were forgetful and you were unfaithful. It does not end with they cross the arms. Yep, I was right. No one does that. In laments, the cry at the end is, but if you do this, if you, inter- inter- if you intercede and if you come to be our help, do it not for us, Do it for your own glory. So the free fall has has stopped. The blades are kicking in. The engine's on because the heart is warmed to the great, great purposes that are at work in this universe and in this world. The great purposes are for the glory of God. We have no idea what little Elisa will become. Why I say that is that what is the glory of God? How will it manifest in her life? We may never see it. God has not promised us that we will see every detail of his plan unfold and understand we are seeing through a glass darkly but we are seeing so the pattern of a biblical lament lament is this emotion and this sorrow and this sadness and these heartfelt desires but God intervene not because we are feeling these things intervene because 
We want you to look good. We want you to look good. This person is alive to the goodness of God. And when you are experiencing sorrow and affliction, you have lost, and it makes sense that you have lost the sense of God's goodness. It makes sense. And I hope that the church can be a place where you can come and whatever your emotional state is, you don't have to put on a happy face. We don't have to be a happy, clappy church. You can come in and say, I am just filled with sorrow. I hope you feel that you could stop by my office, we go out for coffee, and you could just tell me your story. You don't have to look spiritual, don't have to look tough, don't have to give me all this fancy theology. You don't have to do anything. You can be with me. You can be with our elders. I hope you can be with other people, friends in the church. The disciples, of course, were trying to figure out their own theology when something tragic happens. They thought, well, it must be because that person sinned. Remember those, those lessons they tried to give Jesus? And he said, no, this is, this is for the glory of God, and left it there. One of the things we can pray for each other and for Anya and for Brandon, is that the, that the enormity of the situation would somehow get back down to size. That it can be manageable, understood, and they can move forward with their lives. And of course, God is able in his grace to do that. When we cry out that God is sleepy, we are aware that when he has shown he's awake like the creation. When, when God moves upon and is active in, in, a, in a way we, we can understand, oh, what a creation he makes. And when he is active in, a re, in the recreation, when he's active in the cross, oh, what activity can we see? Oh, can we, can we see glorious things happen? And yes, it did seem for centuries and centuries and centuries that he was not doing anything. But when he acts and when he intervenes, oh, what a difference. What a marvelous difference. And we really can't say he takes a blind eye. We really can't say he's asleep. We really can't, but we may feel it. But we see his marvelous activity in our world. So when God seeks to redeem the world, he cries for the world through his son. And we cry for the world and we cry for our situation. His own son experienced the sleepiness of the father. His his son experienced the darkness of his indifference. His son experienced the mystery of God's hiddenness on the cross. When he cried, why have you abandoned me? Jesus remembered how faithful the father was. The father had always been faithful to him. And Jesus remained faithful on the cross without evidence of the father's goodness. 
You know there's almost no place for you to go when you lament. Can you go to family? I hope you can go to family. Where can you go when you're, when you're really sorrowful? Where can you go? Who can you trust? It's really one of the most unique things about life in the church. Where can people go when they are really sorrowful? Most people may perceive there's something wrong with you and keep their distance when really you need just an embrace and just an understanding. So we come now to a moment in our service where I want us to reflect. I think many of you for the first time are processing some of this. It's been a different service and it needs to be a different service today. So for the next three minutes, what we're going to do is we're going to have just a reflective moment, and then we will uh, say aloud uh, a confession from the Belgic Confession, and then we'll have the Lord's Supper. So uh, Lenya, if you would play um, this song called How Deep, reflective song, catch the lyric, and uh, pray, thank God for your children, thank God for your life, pray for Brandon and Anya. Thank you for the life in the church, and uh, may the depth of the cross be the deepest joy we have. And Let's listen to this. <laughs> 